No Junk Mail presents The Great Cat Trial, read to you by James Von Felt. My, oh my, have things been percolating this week. A nearby county sent us a court trial too hot for them to handle. We've never seen such a fuss. It's reported at the gas and grill that TV trucks are circling the courthouse in Bloomfield. Animal activist groups are setting up on the front lawn. Reporters are asking all kinds of foolish questions. Frosty told me some kid killed a cat. Now that didn't seem reasonable. So I called Cousin Ben in Bloomfield to see what was going on. Ben said Helen received a summons to appear for jury duty last week. He went with her to the courthouse this morning. She was picked up to be on the jury. Seems two boys from Fairfield are accused of killing cats. The county district attorney wants to convict them and put them in prison for a long time. Said so right there in front of everybody. The jury was sent home for lunch because Dan Morrissey, the DA, and Kirk Daly, the boys' lawyers, were fighting about something. We heard Judge Dan Wilson yelling at them from the judges' chambers. Frosty, Max and I were mulling this over at the gas and grill when Phil and Jeannie Krebs sat down with us. I've known Phil for more than ten years. He bought Jimmy Hadley's water softener business. They live in Fairfield. They know a lot of people up there and seem to be up on everything. Max asked Phil if he knew what was going on, and Jeannie jumped right in. The boys' names are Chad, Dan, and Justin. They broke into Fairfield Animal Shelter and killed a lot of cats with bats. The police rounded them up. Happened last November. It was on TV. Went national. Upset a lot of people. We've had several demonstrations in front of our courthouse and on the city square. All kinds of petitions to sign. Phil interrupted, pointed his finger, and told us, Killing cats is not what this is all about. He explained that it all started back in the 70s. The Parsons College went bankrupt. Maharishi Mahash Yogi had a school of transcendental meditation in Goleta, California. So what has that to do with the trial, I said. Max was vexed too, and Phil knew it. They bought Parsons out of bankruptcy, he said. It's the transcendental meditation, the new age stuff they teach, the foreigners they bring in, the liberal-minded Californians that come with it. The town is broken into two separate parts. There are townies, what you and I would call normal, everyday Iowa farm folks, and then there are the roos, you know, gurus. You've heard it. Around here, some call them floaters because they practice transcendental meditation. That's the group that was struck by lightning when they heard the cats were killed. They scream for justice. They spread the word nationally. They have the contacts. PETA, animal rights groups, environmentalists, cat lovers of America, you name it, they're connected. Even townies agree that it was a stupid, brutal way to kill cats. But labeling the kids mass murderers, calling for lynching to townies, that's over the top. And the demonstrations, they were organized. 
The story was hot and took off on TV and the Internet. The district attorney, police chief, and mayor were personally swamped with calls demanding justice. TV went wild with their stories. The headline was the Great Cat Massacre. Reporters came from all over. The L.A. Times, Chicago Tribune, Kansas City Star, New York Times, just to mention a few. A hornet's nest was stirred up. The articles were not flattering. The ruse gave our town a black eye. I'm surprised you didn't know about it, Phil said. I guess our grapevine is broken down, I replied. Phil went on and filled us in on what had happened. Seemed that the boys had just graduated from high school that spring. And the gossip is that they were hanging around when the idea occurred to them to go kill stray cats. About five years earlier, David Sykes, a roo, had taken it upon himself to improve the stray animal problem in town. He started Noah's Ark, the animal shelter, bought a small property on the edge of town. The cats were kept in the old house. It was staffed with volunteers, supported by donations. Seems like the animals were taken care of until someone adopted them or they were euthanized. After the break-in, the police got an anonymous tip. The boys were rounded up. Two of the boys clammed up and got a lawyer. One of the boys cooperated and began to tell all. Joe Fraser was the investigator. He knows all the troublemakers in town, and these boys were not in that group. These boys had no violations of any kind. Two of the boys were 18, one 17. They were old enough to know better. If you've grown up on a farm, you know what it means to kill chickens, pigs, calves, venison, even animals that are considered nuisances. It's no lark. It's taken seriously. Another thing, all the employees in the Fairfield Police Department are rumored to be from the farm, as the saying goes. And it's likely that most all of the townies had either been raised on a farm or were one or two generations away. The mayor of the town was from California years ago. He's a rue. When it became known that the boys were in jail, people began to appear around the jailhouse. A crowd gathered. Demands were shouted out and accusations flew. When it turned dark, a candle ceremony formed, blocking the entrance of the police building. Officers responded and a scuffle resulted. No one was arrested, but voices were raised. Then a bullhorn arrived and the gathering became noisy and agitated. Eventually, the crowd dissipated in the wee hours of the morning. Next day, petitioners were on the Fairfield Square with placards declaring that the police were protecting cat killers. They urged cat lovers to unite. Donations were solicited to pay veterinarian bills. Twenty-three cats had been killed. Four wounded cats had been taken to Iowa University Veterinarian Medical School. The square was busy with demonstrators for several days. They marched. They waved signs and chanted. Outsiders came. Trade on the square stopped. Store owners became alarmed. Townies were avoiding the square. A few townies were rumored to have shown up at the Walmart parking lot with mocking homemade signs. Cat killers unite. Cat burgers taste good. 
French fried cats, ruse go home, and on and on. But soon they left, and they never showed up at the square. Five days later, the phones were still busy. Local telephone calls swamped the county supervisors, the mayor's office. Every official that could be contacted was being summoned to stand up for the cause of the cats. The county leadership was puzzled. The town leadership was wringing their hands. A closed meeting was arranged. The district judge, the district attorney, police chief, chairman of the board of supervisors, mayor and president of Maharishi University assembled in privacy. The mayor and the university president represented the ruse. Discussion went on all morning. They looked worn out when it was over, but no one spilled what they discussed. However, Dan Morrissey, the district attorney, hinted strongly that he was going to prosecute to the full extent of the law. The message was he intended to convict the boys of a felony. They would spend a long time in state prison. He kept repeating this theme over and over. It became a public mantra. It even showed up in their signs. Joe Fraser, the investigator, was tasked to find as many witnesses as he could to nail the culprits. In time, 40 witnesses were lined up who would attest to some aspect of the alleged crime. Chad Lemensky's family came up with a bond. He was out of jail. Dan Meyer stayed in jail. Justin Tobin was a witness for the prosecutor. He was released. Lawyer Kirk Daly was hired for the boys, and they, they clammed up about the crime. When pretrial came, Daly persuaded the judge to move the trial to another county. Everyone agreed that no impartial jury could be assembled in Jefferson County. The trial was sent to our county. Well, things eventually died down on the square. The reporters left town. The shopping resumed, but no one forgot what had happened. Cousin Ben filled me in on what went on in Bloomfield. He said that the placards appeared before the trial started. Peter was there in force. Animal rights groups were there. Sign-waving cat lovers were there. They filled up the Bloomfield Courthouse front lawn. The show was for TV and the press. Reporters were all over the place and in people's faces. They were asking passive eyes how they felt about killing cats. The courthouse filled up to standing room only. The potential jury was assembled. Once started, it only took 90 minutes for the district attorney and lawyer Kirk to agree on a jury. Then they went into chambers with Judge Wilson. Ben said heated arguing went on and on. Angry voices were coming from the judges' chambers. Everybody could hear it. As noon approached, a clerk came out to the jury and excused it for lunch, told them to be back by 2 p.m. Things were buzzing through the courthouse. The reporters were writing stories and teleporting them into the universe. Strange things were happening in Bloomfield. When two o'clock came, the jury was seated again. The judge, prosecutor Morrissey, and lawyer Kirk came out of chambers. Judge Wilson took his seat and called the court to order. After a few preliminaries, he looked directly at the jury and announced, Lemansky and Myers had convinced they broke into the house and killed the cats. 
A loud murmur caused the judge to rap his gavel and call for order. When things quieted down, he continued, Killing cats is not a crime in Iowa. Lemansky and Myers will be tried for breaking and entering. It was like a bomb went off. The room erupted in pandemonium. People jumped up, shouting and waving their hands for emphasis. No, no, they screamed. Cat killers, murderers, they're getting away with it. The judge bent over to the loudspeaker and ordered the deputies to remove everyone who was causing the disturbance. It was a loud, slow process, but one by one the people who were standing and shouting were removed from the room. The last one, a woman, continued standing and shouting, shame, 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 at the top of her voice. She was still shouting as they took her out of the room. For a while, everybody just sat and looked at each other. Again, the judge calmly turned and addressed the jury. The charge of aggravated break-in, he said, requires that value of something lost or stolen be determined. You, the jury, will be asked to determine the value in question. That is, the value of the dead cat's. Again, there was a loud murmur in the courtroom. Then the stomping began. Stomping on the old wooden courthouse floor sounded like a drum. The judge called for order, rapping his gavel again and again. When everything quieted down, the judge called for Prosecutor Morrissey to proceed. Morrissey strode confidently to the podium in front of the jury. With a look of pained concern on his face, he raised his arm and pointed to the defendants. These men have destroyed the precious lives of 23 animals in wanton brutality. Lawyer Kirk immediately jumped up and objected. They are not on trial for killing cats, he shouted. Sit down, Mr. Daly, the judge said sternly. When it was quiet again, Morrissey took a breath and continued. We will prove that these precious lives were very valuable. Without another word, he abruptly sat down. The jury just looked at each other. They were expecting more. So were the people in the courtroom. Mr. Daly, the judge called. Kirk had notes in his hand as he approached the podium. He looked at the jury, then at the boys sitting together at the defense table, and then back at the jury. The defendants have confessed, he said. They admit that they broke into the house and did a mindless, stupid, brutal thing. He paused. Their lives are hanging on your verdict. If you value the cat's death above $500, these boys will do time, many years in the state penitentiary. He paused again. Their lives will be ruined forever. Lawyer Kirk slowly and deliberately looked right into the eyes of each juror and then sat down. Morrissey was then called to proceed. He called two witnesses. Marlene Stikes was first to find the cats and was there when they were all sorted out. She broke down and cried as she described the scene and counted of dead cats. Lawyer Kirk did not cross-examine this witness. The next witness was Dr. Mary Abelson from the Iowa University Veterinarian School. She had examined the four cats that had survived. She gave a description of the injuries and an estimate of $2,500 for treating the cats. 
Lawyer Kirk examined this witness. Is it customary for the veterinarian school to donate their services in situations like this, he said? Her answer was yes. He had no further questions. No further witnesses, Morrissey said. The courtroom stirred again. Lawyer Kirk called Dory Blake as witness, a pet store owner. Her store was in Fairfield. How long have you had this pet store in Fairfield? Twelve years, she replied. How much is a cat worth at your store, Kirk asked. Anywhere from thirty to fifty dollars, depending on the cat, was her answer. Have you ever sold a cat for more? No. How much is a stray or feral cat worth? I won't sell stray or feral cats, she said. They need shots. They're not tamed, maybe sick or carry disease. They don't make good pets. In your opinion, how much are they worth, Kirk added. Nothing to me, she said. Your witness, Kirk said. Morrissey stepped up to cross-examine the witness. How many years have you sold cats? About twelve, was the reply. Are you a cat expert, Morrissey asked. No, I just sell them. I see, Morrissey said. Well, then, can you tell us what is the most expensive cat? Dory thought for a bit, then listed several. Asherahs are sold for $125,000. Savannahs for about 50000 Russian blues go for about three. 3000 that is. So you say cats are worth a lot of money, Morrissey said. Some are, some aren't, Dory replied. Have you seen one of these cats? No, they're bought for very rich people, richer than anyone around here. Do you have a cat? Yes. How much did you pay for it? Nothing. It was a cat I couldn't sell. It was sick. I took it home, and it just stayed. Is it well now, Morrissey asked? Yes. If you took it to your store and sold it, how much could you sell it for, Morrissey asked. Maybe $30? Your witness, Morrissey said as he stepped away. The prosecutor in his final statement pleaded with the jury not to let these men go without a severe penalty. What they did was barbaric and cruel. A severe penalty is in order. Cats can be worth a fortune, even if some folks feel they're more valuable to them than even that. Morrissey finished his statement and sat down. Lawyer Kirk's final statement was a restatement that the value of cat lives was approximately $30 at pet shops. Feral cats and strays are a nuisance around town and have no value. Again, he pleaded with the jury to consider the effect a felony and jail time would have on these young men who confessed to doing a stupid, unbelievably barbaric thing. The prosecution and defense took less than an hour to present their cases. The judge gave final instructions, and the jury was led away to a room off the courtroom. Everybody stayed seated. No one wanted to lose their seat. They were expecting a quick verdict. The jury deliberated for less than an hour. When the jury came into the courtroom, no one was smiling. Judge Wilson asked the jury if they had come to a decision. The foreman answered, yes. The value of the cats, he said, according to the jury, was $500. Pandemonium broke out in the courtroom again. The cat lover groups booed and stomped the floor. 
Another chaotic scene of yelling, stomping, and shouting erupted. The judge couldn't be heard, even with his microphone, but eventually the people ran out of steam and the judge's voice was heard. Order in this court, order in this court, or I will have everyone removed, he said. Eventually, the court quieted down to a low murmur. When order was restored, sentencing followed. Justin Tobin received a sentence of three years probation. Daniel Myers and Chad Lemansky both received sentences of 23 days in county jail, fines of $2,500, and three years probation, with the stipulation that if they broke probation, they would spend the remainder of the time in state prison. Reporters had their day in front of the courthouse. The courthouse lawn was filled with spectators and curious for hours. The jury went home. I called Ben later that night. He told me that Helen was exhausted. She told him the jury wanted to put the value at zero, but there were two holdouts that wanted to make some kind of a statement. Helen confessed that she was afraid that she and Ben would be arrested for drowning cats. Next day, as a joke, Cousin Cliff called me to ask me what I thought he should do with Mary Jane's herd of cats. There are so many I can't count them, he said. We had a laugh, but couldn't agree on what to do. So that's it for now. From where the corn grows tall and pigs fly, take care. Oh, my love, Grandpa Jim.